Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. Well, after a little bit of a break here, we're back with a fresh new off script episode. Several significant sexual harassment cases have come to light in the last few months. Now, a whole range of behaviors have come under scrutiny as women and some men have felt emboldened to make public their experiences. In this episode, we even out our off-script panel with one more female voice, Terry Crowder, to help us discuss this prevalent phenomenon from street corners to workplaces to churches. After discussing sexual harassment in some detail, we'll bring some relevant scriptures to light to provide a Christian response. Here now is off-script episode 39, A Christian Response to Sexual Harassment. Today we're talking about sexual harassment, a very serious subject that is definitely in the news these days. And what we want to do is consider what the Christian perspective is on this subject. If, is there a definitive Christian position? How, do, how does the Bible answer this kind of a question, this kind of an issue? And how can we find guidance there? So also in the studio today is Terry Crowder, who is going to join in as our guest. Guest appearance. Make a guest appearance. Uh, would you like to say hello? Hello. Thanks for having me. And then, and so I'm excited to hear what she has to say. But first, before getting into that, let's let's talk about what's going on in the news here. What uh, what's been going on, Dan? Industries that have you know that insiders have have always known have been rife with sexual harassment. Uh, has it sort of turned itself inside out, and a lot of people are coming forward about a lot of really powerful men in uh, Hollywood, in politics, in the music industry, pretty much any sort of high profile industry that you can think of, there there are stories coming forward. And it's really sort of sent shockwaves through through all these industries and through the society in, in, in the United States. We had the, the whole Bill Cosby thing broke, you know, what, a, a couple of years ago. And I think that was the tip of the iceberg, sort of people knew that there were some allegations floating around about him and then a comedian had mentioned it uh, a couple of years ago in one of his shows and then some people did some digging and it, and it all came out and then I think it's steadily been snowballing since then where now people feel, women feel empowered to sort of bring their stories out and uh, really powerful men are being chastised and, and having their careers really been put on hold or ruined uh, based on what they've done in the past according to you know multiple women that have come out against them. So what you have is a is sort of a, a reckoning, I think, in in a lot of these industries, and people really taking a step back. And there's that saying that chickens come home to roost, and I think this is part of the uh, that whole dynamic of of you know you do something, you think you get away with it, and you know years later it comes out, and there's there's a reckoning, and I think that's what we're facing right now. Well, let's uh, let's bring up this uh, Time magazine. I, I see Terry brought it in here. Let's talk about the cover there. What's that all about? So Time named the person of the year called the Silence Breakers, and it's the voices that launched a movement. And it's about the women that have come forward, women and men, I'll add that there are men in this article, that have come forward mainly out of the, the entertainment industry, but... There's also ones that are in the fields, they're in hospitals, hotels. So it's it's relating more to the normal mm. woman, not just women who are high profile. Is that that's the same thing as the hashtag me too? 
Yes. Is that the same yes. idea? Right. Because I've seen that on Facebook where someone will just say, me too. And, and what they're saying is that I've also suffered sexual harassment. Now, how do we, how do we define this term, sexual harassment? Because I feel like it is a very flexible kind of thing. Like, what is sexual harassment? When they were litigating pornography in, in the courts, I'm reminded of that famous saying that the... You know it when you see it? Yeah, when the judge, like, you can't define it, but you know it when you see it. I don't think I'm the best person to answer that, so I will turn it over to the ladies on the podcast. In the workplace, at least, is normally defined as unwanted sexual advances. Okay. And there are, like, I guess, like, not that it's wrong to pursue a relationship in the workplace, but there are respectful ways to test the waters that certainly do, don't involve being sexually suggestive. So it's okay to ask someone out, but to go up and to touch someone and to make a lot of comments about someone's um, someone's appearance or someone's body, mm-hmm. that right there, you're probably crossing a line. Now, beauty is also in the eye of the beholder. Of course, there will be some people who have like very high tolerance, who even enjoy, you know, like... Uh, varieties of catcalling, but and flirtation. And flirtation, yes. But you certainly have to be very careful, and really, respect is the key. Um, it's when respect is out of the equation that it really begins to cross the line. Now, as far as I understand it, the the classical type of sexual harassment we see in the workplace is the quid pro quo, where a person in authority says, "Well, if you do some sort of sexual act for me, then." I won't fire you or I will give your career a boost. Mm-hmm. That, that one I feel like is the, is like one of the easiest to spot. Mm-hmm. Whereas what Rose is talking about, there's a lot of context and ambiguity sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas other times, you know, it's just a crass, obvious thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and also um, depending on, you know, seniority, the more senior the person, the more hesitant you are to turn them in. If it's, you know, if it's some intern who says something about you, yeah, you're going to go report that to HR or even if it's a peer, if it's your boss, if it's your boss's boss, if it's like an executive, like there's a lot of discomfort and you, you're afraid that if you go to HR, you might lose your job. Right. And I feel like that's what a lot of guys don't understand when it comes to sexual harassment. It's like, well, if they don't like it, then they can just tell me and it's, you know, it's not, it's not a thing and, and like I'll stop doing it. But I think what a lot of guys don't understand is that there's a power dynamic often that's at play that they don't pick up on that the woman certainly picks up on. Even if your peers, like catcalling, for instance, like mm-hmm. no woman that I've known or talked to about this enjoys catcalling. It's... I've heard things and read things that guys are like, oh, you know, it's harmless and I'm complimenting them. Why wouldn't they like that? In that situation, when you're, when you're catcalling a woman on the street, first of all, you don't know first her. First of all, like, you're being an idiot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, but they, they can feel threatened. And if they feel threatened, because typically men are bigger than women and there's that whole, like, there's that whole, well, they could do anything they want to me and I couldn't really resist them. And there's, there's that whole, so you're not, you're not on even footing. Like when you're, when you're catcalling a woman, and uh, a couple of years ago, there was this woman who wanted to really illustrate how bad catcalling is. So she, she had a person follow her with a camera, I believe, and just like walked around New York City. And literally, like every block, there was somebody saying something. And you know, it wasn't just construction workers; it was just everybody that she had passed. And that's definitely harassment. You know, she's yeah. not being she doesn't she's not being extended the freedom to walk down the street right. without all this. Now, there's two sides of that equation too, because. You know, obviously what you just said there is is wrong. But at the same time, if somebody dresses in an excessively provocative way, people are going to notice. Now, it doesn't excuse catcalling, but it is 
the simple fact that if, if you want to dress in a very provocative way, you are going to bring attention to yourself. I don't want, I don't want to come across as like I think that blaming the, the victim here, yeah. but uh, yeah. at the same time, recognize that there is a power to the female form and to the male form. If I might say that um, we live in a Kardashian type nation and girls at a young age learn how to work their sexuality to their benefit. So that's the other side of this. There's a lot of victims, but just as you said, if you dress a certain way, that does not excuse rape or inappropriate comments, but you are bringing yourself into that situation by being noticed. Now, I remember talking to a psychiatrist once that said, um, a woman could wear a paper bag and still men are going to look because men are drawn to women and their bodies. But I think as women, we need to take a responsibility of how we present ourselves. And having a young daughter, I'm concerned about what she sees in the media and how it's almost encouraged for women to, to be so sexual and, and they can get what they want because of it and get that attention and get cat called. Right. Um, this American Life recently just, just had a episode about this and I encourage you to listen to it. This, this reporter, she went out uh, in Australia, in um, I think Sydney, and she, she walked down around Sydney and, and every guy that cat called her, she, she went up to the guy and was like, what, what are you looking to get out of the situation? Like, what do you, should she really want what to understand? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, like, well, she really wants to understand. And like, she had some extensive conversations with some people about, with some guys about like, what their thinking is, what they want to get out of the situation. And she tried to tell them like, and she cited statistics that, you know, most women don't like it. I don't think she wound up changing their minds, but it was a, it was a pretty enlightening uh, podcast. I encourage you to check it out. I think I listened to that one. Is it where the guy would like go up to one woman in a group and like yeah. smack her on the butt? Yeah. And like he thought that, he thought it was complimentary. Oh like, oh, oh, you're so hot that I right. That I, I picked you to smack you. Yeah. Like, oh, she should feel honored that I picked her. It's like, oh my. And he's gosh. like a big guy too. Yeah. It was so it was totally just like, of course, like. There, but that's the kind of that's what I'm talking about. That's right. the kind of ignorance that's out there among guys. Another problem is the prevalence of porn and the objectification and the debasement of women and the fact that everyone's looking at it. This is the normal. Catcalling is normal. And we do have one, you know, we have these cultural values of, you know, supposedly respect and supposedly, you know, human rights and valuing each other. But these things are going on on the streets and on everyone's phone and everyone's computer. And it's become the fabric of our society. How can we create a culture of respect um, when these things are everywhere? And to that point, I mean, I think there is somewhat of a double standard. We use sex to sell everything from toothpaste to cars to what what what, what have you. Mm-hmm. We're, I think we're an over-sexualized society. And Terry spoke a moment ago about concerns about her young daughter and what she's seeing and how you internalize that and then how you behave. It's, it's very, I think, confusing for kids and even people of, well, what's okay and what isn't. Because I just watched a semi-pornographic commercial on tv and then i see a woman with a low-cut shirt on and like that's okay but but i can't say anything about this so Mm -hmm. like not to excuse that kind of behavior but sex is everywhere Mm -hmm. and sex sells and so it creates a situation where well it's already on everybody's mind to rose's point and when you externalize that where the line is that's over to interpretation as, as you said sean there's some gray areas and 
it can be tough to navigate. A lot of sexual harassment that happens in the workplace is just comments made, not right. saying like, if right. you sleep with me, I'll give you a promotion. It's just inappropriate talk in the workplace. Right. Oh yeah, the I vast majority. Yeah. And they might not even be seniors. I worked with a man who was not in a position of power, but he was let go from the company because he made inappropriate comments to other coworkers. Right, mm -hmm. yeah. Or even just emailing a really raunchy joke. Even something like that could be sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is a fishing expedition. So guys, what they'll do is they'll say, they'll, they'll like throw a line out there and see how it's taken. And based on, you know, that feedback that they'll, they'll go from there. And some companies have a strict policy even against coworkers dating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So right. to avoid that and superiors for sure. Like, like yeah. I know in the military, it's, it's, you can't do it. You can't be in a relationship with a subordinate. I'm sure in police departments and law enforcement mm -hmm. agencies, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. There's also a, right now in our society, a, a real, I would almost say oversensitivity going on where people are, people, if somebody is accused, the, uh, the corporation is going to act immediately because of a public relations concern. So if, 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 a, if a company, if somebody gets accused then there, there's no time for an investigation. It's like the company feels like they have to act right now mm -hmm. to show that they take this seriously and that they're not harboring sexual harassers and that they're in shock and disgusted just as much as everyone else. Mm -hmm. But then what about the situation where somebody is just falsely accused? Obviously, that's not going to be the majority of cases, but I feel like we are so, at least just right now, amped up on this issue that it can lead to false accusers. I think that happens more in high-profile cases where the media gets involved. In low-profile cases where it's not involving celebrities and like really high-profile um, accusers or victims, um, I think employers will take the time to investigate and do their due diligence, mm -hmm. and um, you know they'll dig up old emails and, and chats and whatever documentation, and they'll talk to other people in the workplace um, to fully investigate it. But I certainly think uh, there have been so many high-profile cases that companies are very quick to isolate and distance themselves um, from predators so that they're not seen to be harboring someone who's creating that culture at their company. Right. And also to that point, you know, I agree with you, Sean, that in some cases there's going to be people that are using this moment that we're experiencing in our society to their advantage falsely. But I think you also have to keep in mind that for decades or maybe since the beginning of the modern workplace, this kind of behavior has been tolerated. It's mm -hmm. been swept under the rug. It's been excused. It's been women, I think, have experienced it for generations. And now that we're at this moment where, you know, they're sort of saying enough is enough. I think we are seeing all these cases come out because there's there's been there's been such a groundswell. There's been it's been under the surface this entire time, mm -hmm. and it does seem like a lot, but that's because it's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. And I'm not necessarily supportive of companies that immediately you know just like with we were talking about with Garrison Keillor, where we don't know all the facts, but it, automatically he's gone. You know, like that. Yeah, there's an issue there, but at the same time, in the majority of cases that the woman has to be believed, and especially if there's more than one accuser, because the notion that some women got together to uh, spread lies and take down a man, it's not impossible, but I don't think that it's very probable in, in most cases. Well, did, would anybody like to share any specific examples or incidents where they went through sexual harassment? Mm -hmm. 
So I can tell you about, I was sexually harassed twice in my 20s and in two different type of work settings. The first one was in a dental office. He was not my boss. He was a, a staff dentist and he would make comments about my body parts as I was sitting and assisting and made me feel uncomfortable. And then the other was by a, I was a bartender by the owner of the restaurant would make very rude and inappropriate comments as I was working and would uh, try to rub up against me behind the bar and made me feel really uncomfortable. I didn't leave the job. In either of those cases, did you have any kind of recourse? Was you just like quit or deal with it? You know, I was in my 20s, so my thought patterns were different. It, it might have been more fun and flattering back then. My job was never threatened, so... But you said you felt uncomfortable. I, I did feel uncomfortable. You kind of just, you smile and hope it doesn't happen again. Mm. In both cases, they always move on to, you're not the only one, they move on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was thinking about how this is such like an HR issue in our uh, corporate culture. But at the same time, there's so many jobs. Like if you're working in a restaurant, you're a bartender. I mean, there is no HR. Especially in the restaurant. He was the HR. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like either, either you, I mean, like how would you even report the owner? You know, like what do you even do? There was a store that broke earlier this week, a long time New York City restaurateur. He had several women come forward against him and this is a guy that has like you know michelin starred restaurants in the city i'm not i don't remember his name but yeah i think i think we're going to be seeing more uh in the restaurant business in the coming weeks and months Mm. any of these big high profile places where it's more conducive to sexual harassment situations than you know a corporate office job well, also retail jobs a lot of retail stores are family owned or Mm -hmm. small businesses and there's just not a lot of recourse in a lot of places. You know, maybe, maybe you could confront the person and say, look, I'm not a sex object. I'm working here. You need to respect me. Maybe that will work in some cases. In other cases, that's it. You're done. Right. And even if there are processes in place to report sexual harassment and get it dealt with, I mean, I'm sure a lot of women would worry about retaliation, even with, even with these systems in place. Yeah, yeah. It's a real problem. Like, oh, watch out for her because she, or, or you get a reputation for being a whistleblower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to worry about those things if, if you're put in these situations. In the past, I've had a coworker um, that ended up saying so many very um, ill-advised things that I kept a file on it and it was juicy, but I, it was a difficult call and my coworker knew about it and we regularly reviewed the file. Uh, we never showed it to my boss. I never felt like a victim in this case. I felt like he was stupid and said a lot of things that he shouldn't have said, but I didn't feel like a victim. I felt like he was degrading himself by saying these things. And also, like, I was sharing my faith with him at the same time. And in in moments of conversation, I felt like he did respect me as a person, but he just, it was, you know, sometimes he was a 13-year-old and had no self-control. And it was a judgment call. And we regularly... Um, kind of talked to my coworker, like, what should we do? And we felt like, you know, if he lost his job, we would be sad about that. 
Um, or even if you got like moved across, um, it, you know, just sit somewhere else or in a different department, um, that that would create a difficult and more um, antagonistic environment. So we never did. And in the end, he got fired for something else. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's just <laughs> that wasn't it was not harassing anyone else either. It was something totally different. So I guess if you have um, bad judgment, it will catch up with you sooner or later. But in that case, I'm, I'm really glad I didn't turn him in um, again. But we never felt unsafe. We never felt yeah. um, that he was creating like a dangerous environment, just that he was, didn't have um, really a filter. So, and you do have to know who, you know, who to turn in. If things had gone really wrong, I probably should have. There was another case too where, and this was um, more painful, where um, uh, another coworker just made a comment about me and, you know, kind of in public in front of other coworkers and I was really embarrassed and um, my face was kind of burning and, he said, oh, what, you're going to go to HR? And that kind of almost like bullying environment. Mm-hmm. Now, he that was more a one-off where I didn't work with him a lot. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like in front of people. And it was sort of a challenge. Like, you know, I dare you. And I just didn't I just didn't feel like it was loving because I didn't see him very much. And again, I didn't feel I, I didn't feel like a victim. I just felt like he was being stupid. But there is there is a point where you have to make a judgment call and you have to say, what are you going to take? And also, you know, should I be damaging this person's career? You know, what about my testimony? Um, you have to consider safety in the environment. Um, maybe you need to pray about it. But I've never turned anyone in for those things. In the first case, did you tell this person who seems sort of like ignorant that you can't say those things? Did you tell them, hey, that's not professional? And what would their, what would his response be? Yeah, I didn't. I, don't, I never came across in like a harsh kind of way. Mm-hmm. But I'd be like, this is the workplace. You shouldn't say that. And then sometimes what he would say would be like illogical. And I would uh, I'd pull logic into the situation. Mm-hmm. But I, d- I did try to do it like in a friendly way. Yeah. He, he never came across hostile. I never felt unsafe with him. He would say a lot of things and I would try um, not to escalate the situation. But yeah, I never, I never let it, um, I was never acted like I was okay with it. Yeah. But you're also a strong woman and can handle yourself and think logically about how to approach the subject with him. But think of a woman who, who isn't, who's more soft-spoken, maybe more fearful so you could have been saving somebody else from the situation by turning him in. Yeah, that's very true. Well, let's take a look at what the Bible and Christianity has to say on this subject. I mean, the one statement that I keep coming back to is the sort of general principle of marriage in the Bible. We find it in Genesis, but then Jesus also quotes it later on in Matthew 19 when they when his critics were asking him what he thought about divorce, Jesus answered Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So obviously Jesus is using this general marriage mindset or principle model in a conversation about divorce. But I think there's a lot here in this statement that applies to how sexuality plays out for Christians and Bible-believing people. So, for example, when it says the two shall become one flesh, there's there's a certain mutuality to that statement where two equal partners in this one new thing. As Christianity spreads into other areas, we see this especially in 1 Corinthians, there are a lot of issues with sex in the ancient world, just like in our world today. I don't think they 
had a term sec- for sexual harassment. I think that's only it's just life. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's only like fifty years old. That that term is, is f- fairly recent, but there were these issues, and infidelity was completely rampant in the Roman Empire. Men and women were not did not have the same rules at all. Uh, like a typical Roman head of the house male would have sexual access to all the slaves, mm-hmm. um, household slaves, and um, prostitution was completely acceptable. And uh, there wasn't a concern with STDs, at least not, not nearly to the degree that we have today. And the wife was very, very restricted sexually. I mean, she had to be faithful. And I'm not talking about Christians. I'm just talking about regular mm-hmm you know, landowning type folks in, in, in Roman cities. So like a white, and, and a lot of that goes back to the womb and there is no paternity test. There's no DNA test. So as a woman, you have not, you're not sure about who's responsible for the baby in the womb. Then that gets into the whole issue of inheritance and passing on the name and all this kind of thing, which was very important to Roman people. So they would restrict the woman and then the guy would be out all over town and that would be normal. Mm-hmm. Sound kind of familiar? Yeah, well, <laughs> to, I'm not uh, sure if this is, problems. I'm not sure if this is also in Roman culture, but in so often, so many um, ancient cultures and cultures today, the woman is considered property. So it's like, yeah, I can have more than one car or I can go, I can get, go get an Uber. That's sort of the perspective. Right. Um, but she she belongs to him, so in that sense, yeah, you would not um, you would expect a double standard from owner and property that kind of relationship. Right, and uh, we could talk a lot about Roman sexuality. I mean, it's fairly well understood because they wrote a lot, but um, <laughs> and so we we know like how they thought about it. But you know, we don't need to go down that whole road. What, what I'm saying is that when Christianity encountered this like Roman mindset, because originally God worked with Israel, with the Jewish people, it was a very different kind of world. N- not that they didn't have some issues, but adultery was not considered okay in Judaism. It was considered a capital crime. Whereas in the Roman Empire, it's like... The norm. Well, there's actually this one little saying, I, I think it was from... Uh, some sort of like high-level Roman senator type person, or, or maybe it was juvenile. But it, the, this, the remark was, why wouldn't you just use a slave or a prostitute instead of sleeping with some a woman that's married? In other words, like, if you... because So they had the sense of adultery, like, you don't sleep with some, some guy's wife mm-hmm. because now that guy's going to be seriously upset at you and try to kill you. Mm-hmm. Whereas you could just, like... You know, so it was like totally accepted to have adultery, but not with somebody that's already married. So the saying mm-hmm. is, why not just save yourself the headache and you know, right? Don't put yourself in danger. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but anyhow, so Christianity encounters this mindset, and we find the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians seven talking about the body and sexuality, and he says, he says, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Now in their culture, that would be totally accepted. But then he says, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. What'd you say, Paul? <laughs> so, so he's given the wife authority over the husband's body, mm-hmm. and he's given the husband authority over the wife's body. And then he says, 
Don't deprive one another, except perhaps for agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves again to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what he's saying is that there's a mutuality, that, which I was kind of hinting at before, this one flesh uh, model we find in Genesis and then Jesus quotes, that a man should be faithful to his wife, and a wife should be faithful to her husband, and this doesn't sound all that shocking to us, but in their society, in Corinth, for example, that would have been like mm. excessively leftist by our standards in the sense of really pushing a feminist position compared to what the mindset was at the time. Uh, ironically, Paul is typically considered the opposite, but um, regardless, this is, I think, a real example to us on this whole subject, which is sex is within the boundary of marriage and there is a uh, a serious sense of respect as opposed to objectification. Like you mentioned mm-hmm. the porn mindset where you're looking at the woman as a thing or as an animal. That's uh, dehumanization. It's when you look at a person as a thing or a person as an animal. Right. Or a product or a means to an end. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. So what I'm saying to you is that within the Christian mindset the christian christian worldview sex is for marriage that statement right there means that you have to commit yourself to that person and then you have i mean that's just totally flipping the whole thing on its head Mm -hmm. i I mean i'm not saying that christians don't perpetrate sexual harassment i'm sure there are some that that do and it's wrong I mean, we have the whole uh, what's that? What's that called? The church move. Church. Oh yeah, there's hashtag church too. Church too, mm-hmm. right? We have that whole issue. Uh, we're not going to get into the whole pedophilia thing with the with the um, the priests and all that. You know, that's that's well understood to be wrong. But what I am saying is that if you're the kind of Christian who's being faithful to what the Bible says, then you have to respect somebody enough to say, "I want to be with you for the rest of my life," mm-hmm. and then you have sex. And then it fits in, and it's like a glue that keeps that covenant together. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a beautiful ideal. Obviously, not everybody in the in our world is going to do that, but it is the prescribed solution from a Christian perspective, and I think yeah. it's pretty awesome. Can we back up to and read the first three verses? Please do. They tie in. Um, so Paul says, now concerning the things about which you wrote, so in response to a letter from them, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. There you go. <laughs> but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to, is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. So you are, there's this beautiful idea of, uh, of mutual giving mm. of yourselves to each other. Um, and it's supposed to go both ways. And God has created us for pleasure and has created us for satisfaction. And this is the way in which it can be done in a healthy manner. It, there's such an emphasis on giving here that I love. And then the women um, are absolutely elevated to the point of the man is also supposed to fulfill his duty to his wife. Um, I think it's beautiful. And I think um, if you're careful you know, in selecting your marriage partner, this is a healthy and, and satisfying way to live out your life. And there's a, there's a beautiful quality to it. I love how specific it gets in verse five where it says stop depriving one another because you know you have the whole thing like oh my my partner is depriving me of sex for whatever reason Mm -hmm. so it says you know specifically don't do that uh except you know by agreement if you're you know sort of like a sexual fasting period which makes sense but i also love how it makes allowances this is the bible here the new testament first corinthians 7 it makes allowance it like god knows that humans have self-control issues when it comes to sexuality it's right, right and there. God gave us the drive. Right. It's right there. It says, um, 
come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And in verse 1, it says, uh, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, but because of immoralities, in verse 2, each man is to have his own wife. Like, it's, it's understood. God understands how he made, made us. He knows, mm-hmm. he knows our frame. And this is the prescribed solution to that limitation on the human condition. One other place to look at where Jesus directly addresses the issue of lusting after a woman who is walking by. <laughs> Which is kind of like where we uh, where we started things off, right? The cat calling paradigm, right? The cat caller. This is Matthew five twenty seven. Jesus says, "You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out." Let me pause there. Well, what Jesus is saying is that what you do in your head counts to mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. So. Let's say somebody walks by, and this could apply either way, right? A good-looking guy, good-looking woman, and you're, you're experienced, you feel the pull, the attraction, and, you, and you start, it starts to turn into lust in your mind. Jesus says, fight the battle there. Mm-hmm. You fight that battle there. And if you do, it's never going to turn into a cat call. It's right. never going to turn into a, a pickup line at the water cooler with just enough innuendo to see if they're interested in having a one-night stand. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just not going to get there if you fight the battle in the mind. And then the next thing he says is that this is serious as hell. Mm-hmm. See what I did there? Yep. Um, but <laughs> H-E double hockey sticks. Verse, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Mm-hmm. So Jesus recognizes that this is not a joke. This is not optional. This is not just like, okay, well, if you're going to be a super saint, then try to control your lust. No, he's like, this is a big deal. You fight that battle. You deal with your lustful intent, and you don't let it mature into something else because if you start acting out with your hand or with your foot, it's like where you, where you, what you do where you go, if it starts playing out in your life, that's that, that road ends in the fire. <laughs> so, um, And you don't see Jesus talk this way about any of the other ones. You read the Sermon on the Mount, the rest of the chapter 5 here of Matthew, chapter 6, chapter 7, there's no other issue that he, he brings like the hell card in and says, well, it's so serious that you might as well just gouge out your eye. Like, he doesn't talk like that normally. This is very strong. Mm-hmm. So what is that saying to me? It's saying to me that even back then, when they weren't wearing paper bags, but they're wearing, like, pretty unstylish tunics, I think. <laughs> the average Israelite peasant would not be all gussied up on the farm. Right. And still, in that context, this is already an issue. And Jesus is saying, deal with it in your head, because... If you don't, it's, it's, it's going to destroy you. And that's what we see in our society today. It, it is destroying us. One you know? thing that I thought about when you asked me to do this is the whole story about uh, King David and Bathsheba and how they're, they're talking about, especially with Matt Lauer, there was a power differential and how King David mm-hmm. used that. He was more powerful. He committed adultery. He committed murder. And he... He used his power to do it, and it all went wrong for him after that. It's, it's a great example of the phenomenon we see today, because it, it is that power differential that creates the opportunity for the behavior. Obviously, David didn't have access to the words of Jesus yet, because Jesus was a thousand years later, but like 
how much more so mm-hmm. it does that make sense in light of I mean you think about Dave the devastation of David's sin I mean it ruined his life in so many ways generations I, I think we also need to sort of talk a little bit about how while this is a thing that's happening in the culture at large it's also a thing that is coming to the fore in the Christian church as soon as you saw the me too hashtag popped up you saw the uh, church Two hashtag pop up and the whole Catholic priest thing aside in the Christian church sexual harassment occurs too and I think it's illustrative of, of just the fact that it literally does not matter what context we're talking about if there is a dynamic where there's men and there's women and they're regularly interacting you can most likely find sexual harassment somewhere in there mm-hmm. and so you know for, for our Christian brothers and sisters listening we're certainly not exempting our own our own community and we need to be vigilant about the fact that it's everywhere and vigilant about we're not above it we're not above it and we need to police our own community we need to police our brothers in christ not police them but we need to be a positive influence on them and if we see something that's you know questionable or like if there's a a younger teen man and he's saying stuff to his teen girl counterparts pulling them aside and being like hey man i know you didn't really mean anything mm-hmm. by that but mm-hmm. they could take it this way and so just you know be aware of that and and sort of that guidance and stuff and and it's it's certainly something that we you know in our own church community also have to be alert to yeah it's so important to talk to the right people when i was a preteen there was a much older man in my church who tried to start a physical relationship with me and didn't even try to hide it and i was like very innocent very young i was taught to be submissive and um that teaching didn't stick <laughs> well <laughs> i'm sorry i mean i was i was happen. taught to be very respectful to older people and Deferential. uh yeah and people told me i should stop that and i was like i thought it was very obvious i don't like this everyone should have known i don't think anyone spoke to him they spoke to the preteen girl. And I understand we have purity culture, and yes, absolutely. Um, it, like, it's very important for all of us to own that. What a creeper. I mean, how that's, old is Oh, my that, gosh. But that's even people in your church. I mean, that guy should have been talked to. Oh, yeah. So like, I don't a, think he was because people talked to me, and then it continued. See, that's what we need, well, how, to, that's how, what how we need to stamp out. How we, old was this guy? I'm sorry. 50-something. Oh, yeah. that's, that's what I'm talking about. We need it's to, bizarre. like, if we see that going on in our own community, I don't care if it's the head of the head of the head of the pastor, mm-hmm. or, or like the, you know, person. Person bishop. Over the bishop. I don't <laughs> care who it is, but like you need to, we have to take ownership of our own issues and this is part of it and we have to be on the lookout for it. And nobody, nobody gets a pass. Mm-hmm. Right. As the saying goes, avoid the appearance of all evil. In a lot of medical practices, they have open door policies. Mm-hmm. If a male doctor is examining a female doctor, a nurse, a female nurse will need to be in there. Mm-hmm. So it's, keeping it so you won't be accused i it's protecting both parties right i was Mm -hmm. a youth leader one time and anytime the youth pastor who was a male would meet with me he would leave the door cracked just to avoid the appearance of any evil and he has a thing on facebook that he will not communicate with you directly via messenger because he does not want to be accused of anything Mm -hmm. It's a shame that it's gotten to that level where completely innocent men have to take those sort of extreme measures to avoid being falsely accused. Uh, Rose, you mentioned a little while ago, Mike Pence and his policy of never 
uh, being alone with a woman who's not his wife and a lot of people on the left and you know I'm sure some on the right made fun of him for that mm -hmm. but it's funny that months later all this stuff is coming out and Mike Pence is probably sitting over there like yep this is exactly why I, right. I, I do it that way yeah and I'm not taking any sort of stand here politically but everyone made fun of him say oh how conservative um, yeah. but really who respected women Right. He, he respected his wife so, so fully in all of that. He respected all the women because, and they knew like right. people in his office who worked under him, you know, you don't have to worry about him. Right. He's not even going to have lunch with you. And it's hard to laugh at him now, given everything that's happened. Yeah. It seems like the solution to the sexual harassment problem is respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, so let's say you're not even a Christian and you want to be with somebody. If you respect that person and they you know, you don't just go for it. You, you ask them out. And if they say, no, I'm not interested, then that respect that person means, okay, that's it. And I think most women love that because normally it is the guy that'll just come out and be forward. But if you like come to them respectfully, you'll be like, wow, that was a great, you know, interaction. He didn't say that I had a nice butt. He said that, hey, do you want to get coffee sometime? Right, mm -hmm. right. Ask you for coffee sometime as opposed to using some sort of gray area Innuendo, right? A, mm -hmm. a fishing line, right? Mm -hmm. Is 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 way better. And uh, from a Christian perspective, if you're asking somebody out, I mean, that's just getting to know them, obviously. But like the respect level is really amped up because you're going to respect this person's body until you're ready to be involved with their whole person in the on the wedding day and all that. So I really see respect as what what needs to be pushed. You know what I mean? As I mean, so long as we're talking about sexual harassment, that's like the the what's wrong, what's right. Well, what's right is to teach respect. I think. Do you think yeah. I'm right about that? Or am yeah. I? And Sean, I mean, you have four. You have four boys. I mean, this is gonna. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is going to be something in like 10 years you're going to look back on and be like, yeah, in 2017, there was this huge thing that came out and it's But just you. like Rose said, I think the lines are blurred because with the porn industry being so huge, men are becoming, and women in some cases, are becoming desensitized on how mm -hmm. they're, they're supposed to treat a woman. What does respect mean? That's been changed over the years. It wasn't like when Aretha Franklin sang the song <laughs> yeah. R -E -S -P -C -T. Yeah. so you know respect might now just be like let's not slap the girl around wow yeah what about this is dealing with widows elders and slaves but it, it says treat younger men as brothers older women as mothers and younger women oh. as sisters with absolute purity if you need to know how to treat a woman you're not going to sexually harass your sister or your mother yeah mm -hmm. so if I'm I hope not. Right. But I mean, that's so basic and simple. And that's what I like about right. when I look at the Bible, I want to find the most simple way mm -hmm. to understand it myself and to teach my children. And that's right. pretty simple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Treat all young women as sisters. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Without beating them up like a sister. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this is edifying to you. I hope this is uh, obviously it's very topical. And if you have any, any feedback, please go to restudio.org. Leave us feedback. As always, you know, we're we're figuring this stuff out and how the Bible applies to modern Christianity and, and what uh, we can take from the Bible and apply to our lives. And uh, we love to hear from our audiences about your experiences, um, your uh, input on what you think about this topic, any stories, anything that you can share that will shed further light on it, we more than welcome. Uh, so thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Well, that's it for this subject. 
I hope this episode has been helpful in thinking through this subject. And as Dan mentioned, if you have anything to add, please come on to restitudio.org to drop a comment. Just find Offscript episode 39, A Christian Response to Sexual Harassment, and you can leave a comment there. We've been getting a number of comments in on episodes from the last several Offscript episodes. And instead of reading them out here, what I'm going to do is save them up and give a response in a future Offscript episode. So rest assured, we are reading your comments. We don't usually reply on the website. We usually reply in an actual episode at the end here. But uh, having looked at a few of these, I think it would make a really great episode to do a, uh, a questions answered episode. So stay tuned for that. That'll be out in just a couple of weeks. We've got Another couple of episodes lined up for you on Offscript dealing with a lot of cultural issues that were put out in a Washington Post article. And so stay tuned for that next week, and then we'll probably do two episodes on that and then get into these questions. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share it on social media, and please write us a review if you don't mind in iTunes so that we can boost our ratings. Appreciate that. We'll catch you next time as we seek to get off the world script and live out authentic Christianity.